afternoon and welcome to the Keswick Ripple Podcast. My name is Jim Lang. I'm the Director of Guest Services here. And each week we want to bring you a testimony that we hope encourages your heart and life. One of the most dynamic parts of our ministry is that when a man or woman comes to one of our programs and is radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are sent out to their, their churches, their families, their communities, and God uses them in a mighty way. And so today I want to introduce you to Wayne, and Wayne's going to uh, take some time and tell us a little bit of his story. So Wayne, thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you very much. And uh, so why don't you start out by telling us kind of what life was like growing up during your formative years. What, what did that look like? Well, I grew up back in the, the 50s, 60s. Uh, it was, I lived in South Central Pennsylvania. It was a, a rural farming community and we lived on a small farm. My parents both worked outside of being on the farm, but it was, like I said, a small rural community. We farmed on the side for something to do, kind of. My dad liked animals and we raised our own food, our veggies and all that sort of thing. And it was a good era of time to grow up, really. Uh, but be that as it may, we were a very Christian church-oriented family. If there was light on the church, we were there. Uh, and active in most anything and everything that went on there. Uh, in my formative years, we it was a United Brethren Church, which was very, very fundamentalist church. And uh, when I was about 12 years old, we merged with the United Methodist Church and things, things liberalized just a tad, things loosened up, things that were never allowed. And the uh, United Brethren Church became allowable. Uh, stupid little things, smoking, you, you were allowed to, alcohol was no longer a totally condemned sort of thing, but didn't make a lot of difference whether none of the above were utilized at, at home for me. But in growing up, it was, I was, it was very legalistic. I was, everything back in those days was, you were judged by performance uh, at the church as well as where I, where I lived. Uh, we were a farming community at the age of 12. I was working on neighbors' farms, doing that sort of thing. And these old farmers, they're, they're loving this kid, you know. Uh, you got the reputation that you worked like two men or something. You, you want to latch on to this kid because he's, his mindset is that that's what he wants to do. He wants to get that pat on the back. And I grew up doing that. Uh, I was very active at church and the youth fellowship was actually uh, the district uh, youth fellowship. I was active in it and was president of that. Went to Estes Park, Colorado to some conventions, national conventions and things. But everything was always based on performance. Everything was performance. Same way high school, you know, back in the day then, I, I was in sports, I wrestled, I played football, did that, did all the good rock, played the jock scene. And uh, it was, you, you were always told, it didn't matter if it hurt, you know, it was always more, that's a long way from your heart, buddy, you just suck it up and go on. And that's what I learned how to do. You worked hard, you sucked it up, you didn't let people know how you felt. People, the aura around family life back in those days was that if you had trouble in your family or problems of any nature, you didn't share that with other people. It stayed in your household. You don't tell other people about any of your problems or anything. And that was how I, that was how I grew up. That was. And so how did you uh, get introduced to your addiction? How did you enter into your addiction? I started drinking at a football party the end of like my sophomore year in high school. 
uh, it was like the thing that era, the guys did, you know, at the end of the year, you didn't do it during the year. You didn't want to interfere with any other sports or anything of that nature. You know, you weren't allowed to drink or smoke or any, any of that. Uh, the coaches would have your head on a platter. But once school was out, you know, we'd, we'd group and living out in, out in the country, we'd find the back 40 acres at somebody's farm, grab the keg of beer, and the party was on. And I never really drank. But I did that night for the first time. And I found out that two beers and I was over the top. I, all my inhibitions went away. I fit in. I didn't feel like I was less, you know, or that I, you know, had any reason to feel less. I really didn't, but it was too dumb to know any better back at that time. You always, you were trying to fit, trying to fit, trying to fit. And that was the way then. I sort of found a way to fit in. Uh, it carried over even with a high school thing going on. Uh, weekends, we'd party. I was a guy that for some reason looked a little older than some of the other kids. I was about the same size back then at age 15, 16 as I am now. I just quit growing, I guess, you know, <laughs> what they say about stunning your growth, it will happen, it does, it transpires. But be that as it may, you know, I, I was got served at places that I shouldn't have, but I did. And people would always come to me and I, I felt really, I, I was, I liked that because it gave me a way, they came to me and I had an in with the gals, I had an in with the other guys, I fit. They all, everybody liked Wayne because Wayne was who you needed to go see, mm -hmm. you know. He gets you squared away to head for the woods to go party and do sure. the deal. And so what are some of the, the negative effects that, that your addiction brought into your life and what are some of the struggles that you've had? I couldn't think right after a couple of years. It was one of the things that was really amazing to me in, in high school at, with math. As long as it was five and six equals 11, as long as we had numbers, everything was good. And then we got to abstracts with algebra and uh, physics and things of that nature, uh, geometry. And when you started substituting other things which required reasoning and logic, I didn't have the ability to do that. I just, certain things I could not handle and couldn't think, I couldn't focus. Got to college, you know, uh, and everybody went to college back then, that was a thing to do and I did. And I got to college and I learned how to drink in the big leagues because I joined a fraternity. And it was like, the more that I drank, the less I could comprehend. A lot of the, you know, it was certainly not like high school. You walked into our first college class. The prof said, okay, I'm gonna introduce himself. This is your textbook. Read the first 80 pages and we'll see you in two days. Well, I never read 80 pages of nothing in my life, much less sit down and do that for one out of five classes. And it was like things really got difficult. And uh, I just, it was back in the era, the Vietnam days, the war, uh, things were transitioning, sex, drugs, rock and roll. I wasn't into carrying signs or, or, or creating bonfires on the college campus, but I didn't have a hard time burning a joint for the boys over yonder. And that stuck. I continued to, I smoked pot for years. And um, 
didn't realize that it was doing to my thinking and my ability to reason what it did, but I was becoming more and more dependent on not having to feel things, which between alcohol and pot worked really good. That eventually led to bigger and better things. I guess not really, but you know, a way of terminology. I ended up with getting into cocaine, crack cocaine, became a crack cocaine addict, the addiction, and it destroyed all kinds of things in my life. Relationships, marriages, uh, relationship with my parents. My dad died uh, and I was borderline, probably alcoholic addict when Pop died. And I set out, I cursed God. And I literally did do that. I cursed God and swore that I would drag every person to the gates of hell that I could possibly drag there because he took Pop from me. I was 33 at that time. And I spent another 25, 30 years just exactly trying to do that before I ended up, before Christ and the cross. Yeah. And so how did you end up hearing about the Colony of Mercy? I was, had caught a possession of paraphernalia charge because of my annex uh, and went to jail. That grew actually uh, because I could never get through probation without melting the cup. And, uh, I knew that when I got out, if I didn't do something, and if I crawled back in the truck, which is what my profession was, I was an over-the-road truck driver hauling produce. Didn't use on the road, but weekends looked out when I was at home. Be that as it may, uh, I knew I had to do something. And I uh, started to look for somewhere to be when I got out of jail. A friend of mine was involved in a ministry over in uh, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, uh, with the prisons and so forth over there. I went to a halfway house over there for a while, got out of there, did okay, went on and got a job and got a certification to work on equipment and got a $10,000 bonus and left on a Friday night to go downtown and get a little pat on the back and came back two months later. And I, it was just totally out of control. And at that point, I knew, again, had to go somewhere. Charlie, my buddy, knew about Keswick because of an affiliation with the gentleman who used to be one of the upper management here and recommended. And back in 2016, I came here for the first time. Okay. So you came here in 2016. You ended up leaving. Um, God brings you back here this year. And yes. so... Um, you graduate, you're in discipleship now. And so what has God been teaching you over the last few months? I've learned, I've finally been able to accept the fact that this relationship with Jesus Christ is not a performance-based thing. It is a father-son relationship. It is a family relationship. I always felt like I had to earn things, like I had to qualify, like there was a... You, you did all this and then you got a little merit badge at the end of it like the Boy Scouts and then you'd go on and go a little further and then you get something else. I was always performing to try and satisfy somebody, a people pleaser, a pat on the back seeker. Uh, that's, that's what I did. And none of that, whenever someone, we put expectations on people when I did that, on people and on ministries and programs. And when something would falter and that would not be what I thought it should be, 
my whole world crashed. And that happened time and time again. I've learned to depend and appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ did for me what I can't do for myself, could never do for myself. I know that today he is the way, the truth and the life. And he, it's nothing that I do. When I accepted salvation, when I asked for salvation from Jesus Christ, he bought and paid for everything that he did. He bought and paid for me and all my mistakes and everything that I've ever done wrong and ever will do wrong. And I don't have to earn it. Today, I live it as part of, I, I wanna do things. We talked about how Christ and has has died for us and he bought and paid for this. It's It's nothing else that I can do. It's not a requirement for me to meet any standard other than a, an, ob, a re, an, yeah, an obligation to be responsible to try and do what he has laid in front of me to do today. He fulfills the law. He's not there to beat you over the head with it. And I used to view God as sitting there with a hammer just waiting for me to screw up so he could slap me. Yeah. And it's not that way. Christ is there to help put his arm around me, pick me back up give me a reason to live and appreciation for what there is in this world. And so one of the neat things about this podcast is we have a lot of, a lot of folks who, who tune in and watch it. And more than likely there's someone watching today who, who is struggling with addiction, struggling with drugs and alcohol. What would you say to them today? Don't give up. There is a way and his name is Jesus Christ. Uh, the relationship with him and the grace life that he affords each and every one of us the opportunity to take a hold of is just beyond belief. No matter who's told you that you're not good enough, no matter how much you've listened to the little guy sitting on your shoulder screaming in your ear saying, look what you did, look what you did, you can't do this, you're, you, you know, once again, you turned around and you fell on your face. Yeah, you did. Welcome to the human race. We all do, no matter who we are. So you get up, it's just that our falling on our face could be, for some people, uh, a business adventure. It could be for somebody, too many donuts at breakfast. For somebody else, it's too many cigarettes. We all have a downfall. We all have that weak spot. And that beats, we beat ourselves over the head with it. We say we're not good enough, and we are. You gotta, Christ will allow you to accept the fact that he paid the price. You are good enough. You're one of his kids and he wants you and he will help you. If you will walk, he will walk with you. Thank you, Wayne, for sharing a little bit of your story. We hope that if this testimony encouraged your heart and life, that you'd like it, that you'd share it, and we will see you next week. Have a great day.